We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. A confession that um, I prepared a Devar Torah for today on the notion of being a survivor because today is Pink Shabbat where we're honoring those survivors and thrivers of breast cancer and remembering those who have lost their battle to breast cancer. But I am uh, making an executive decision today to talk about some of the events that have happened in the world in the last 48 hours because I feel a compulsion to do so, and I thank you in advance for indulging me in this moment. I came home from Israel on uh, Thursday morning. I was in Israel for a very short time, two and a half days. And when I was there, I had just come off the heels of what was the yard site, the 24th anniversary of the murder, the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin. Now I want to tell you all a little something about his assassin who was an Israeli, an observant Jew, who went to the same university that I went to. He went many years later, he was a law student. When he snuck behind the prime minister and he shot three bullets into his back with two different kinds of bullets. One were regular bullet, the other one was a hollow point. And the reason he did that was because he thought the prime minister might be wearing a bulletproof vest. And he wanted to make sure that it pierced him no matter what. So a regular bullet would pierce the vest and a hollow point wouldn't. The prime minister was not wearing a vest, so the hollow point bullet shredded his insides, which caused his death just literally minutes after he was shot. When the Shabak, the Secret Service of Israel, captured this man, grabbed his hand, ripped the gun from his hand, and threw him against the wall, they screamed and yelled at him, where are you from, where are you from, in Arabic. And he didn't answer. And they yelled at him again in Arabic, where are you from, who sent you? Meaning, are you from Hamas? Are you from Jihad? Are you from Hezbollah? Are you Iranian? Who sent you? And he looked at them dumbfounded. He had no idea what they were saying. And then he responded, I'm Israeli, in Hebrew. If you look closely on the video, because there's a video of this, you can almost see the Secret Service drop the suspect from their hands. They were so shocked that a Jew had done this to the Prime Minister of Israel, a Jew. But if you look at history, it wouldn't be surprising to you whatsoever that it happened. Because if you look at the months and weeks that led up to that fateful day in November, where Rabin was assassinated, you will see political rallies that happened in the left and on the right in Israel, condemning Oslo, saying that Rabin had blood in his hands, and painting pictures of Rabin in SS uniform with a Hitler mustache on him. Yitzhak Rabin, the first Sabra prime minister of Israel, the first one born in Israel. They would carry around at rallies a coffin written on the side that said Sion, which meant Zionism, meaning with Rabin as the leader, he will be the end. He will see to the death of the Jewish state and to the notion of Zionism. 
And leaders of the opposition party, and we should have opposition parties, but leaders of the opposition parties went to these rallies, and we can count on one hand how many times they stopped those protesters. They said nothing. They saw it with their eyes, they heard it with their ears, they were witness to it, they got the crowd revved up, and they said nothing about it. And after the assassination, the opposition came on the air 24 hours later on American television and said, we condemned it. It's true, they did, twice. But what about the other 44 times that there were rallies and that this depiction was put out there? And if you don't believe me, just go to the Rabin Museum in Israel today and you'll see all of the hate that was out there focused on this person who was both the Minister of Defense, who had served basically every role in the IDF and fought for the survival of Israel. He was hawkish when it came to security. And meanwhile, people were so threatened of their land, they didn't say, I love you, but I disagree. They didn't say, there's a place for you and a place for me, but I'm not voting for you because I disagree with you. They depicted him as a Nazi, which is the worst depiction you can give in Judaism to another person and what they offer to the Jewish people. And then when Rabin was killed, we ask, why? Why was he killed? Well, it wasn't like his assassin, who I'm purposely not using his name, it wasn't like his assassin was sitting in a library one day and read a book and then thought creatively about the book and maybe this is what his responsibility is. That assassin was indoctrinated. He was indoctrinated by people in right-wing study halls and by rabbis who are nothing short of fanatics claiming that to kill Rabin is to do a mitzvah because he fits into the category of a pursuer, someone who jeopardizes the fate and faith and life and vibrancy of the entire state of Israel. Meaning, if Rabin is threatening to kill all of Israel through his actions, our responsibility is to stop him. The assassin didn't come up with the idea by himself. He had heard it and he was taught it in the yeshivas in which he studied by radical and fanatic rabbis. So you put the rallies together and you put the fanatical rabbis together and you put it all together and what do you concoct? You concoct a crazy fanatic with a gun who one Saturday night, after casing his target for months and then weeks, decided to kill Rabin and Perez and only at the very last minute did he decide only to kill Rabin because they had gone in two different directions when they came off the stage. And who knows? Who knows how the world would have turned out were Rabin still alive? Who knows what would have happened to Oslo? Who knows what would have happened to Arafat? Who knows what would have happened at the UN? No one knows. We can all play prognosticator. No one knows. But I do know what happened to the state of Israel after he was shot. It was no different than any of us getting paddles on our heart, whether we're beating an arrhythmia or a normal sinus rhythm, and it shocks us all back into a moment of unity, saying, oh my God, what has happened to us? And if you ask the Rabin family, who I've asked on multiple occasions about this, I happen to be blessed with the friendship with the Yitzchak Rabin's daughter, Dalia. They squarely blame these radical rabbis and these people who were part of the opposition who said nothing, absolutely nothing, when these depictions of Rabin were up in Hitler mustache and in Nazi SS uniform. And they say they have the blood on their hands for not using their voice. It reminds me of the genesis of the story of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. 
It came from a story of a fight, which I won't get into too many details, between two people who were at odds with each other. And the fight happened at a party where one person kicked the other one out of the party. And the other person begged to stay so he wouldn't be mortified. And when the other person kicked him out of the party, there were a group of rabbis who served as the role of judges and moral leaders at the time. They sat there silently. And what this person who was being kicked out and who was ashamed in his action felt, and he says this, it says this in the text, was that because the rabbi sat on their hands, because they were silent and didn't use their moral voice, they felt that the rabbis were innocent, that their silence was in some way condoning the behavior of kicking the man out of this party. As a result of that, the vengeance of this man came to bite the party, it's all of its people who were part of it, which led to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. If you're curious about the story, you can ask me at Kiddush, I'll go into more details. But basically, the story happened because people didn't use their moral voice. They fell on the side of silence. And that is a colossal mistake. There are still a lot of facts to be uncovered. There are still details to be known. But what we do know is that 12 targets received in the mail active bombs that could have maimed or killed them. And why did they receive them? For what seemingly or allegedly is a political position. A political position that others in the opposition of that political position have seemed to feed like a hungry beast. They have put gasoline on top of a fire by calling people names, by condoning violence, by promoting division. And as this happens, they come with one of two defenses. I know nothing about this. I don't tell people to bomb another people. Or the other one is, it's one crazed, deranged lunatic. Well, the crazed, deranged lunatic did not get the idea that it was okay on his own. When the commander-in-chief says at a rally, I just wish I could punch that opposition guy in the face, there's a problem. When the commander-in-chief says about police officers, I hope they rough that guy up a little bit before they put him in the police car, we've got a problem. And when the commander-in-chief doesn't take responsibility for words in which he said, and others then think it's okay because a man this week grabbed another woman on an airplane in what is her personal and private space, and his defense was, the President of the United States says it's okay to do it. There's something wrong. Now, I'm not saying that the President of the United States is a person who doesn't make mistakes or who shouldn't make mistakes or who can't correct mistakes. Every president I've been alive for has made some, and most of them have done a yucky job at correcting them. But until the opposition stands up and takes responsibility for the words in which they say and do, this is the path we're going to be headed down because what it all boils down to is one simple word, and that word is responsibility. Imagine in Israel 24 years ago if the opposition leader would have stood up and said something akin to, put that sign down. That sign does not belong in this rally. Yitzhak Rabin is a fighter for Israel. He is a Zionist. He loves his country. We passionately disagree about the direction in which we should go, but don't you dare compare him to Hitler. Imagine the voice that that opposition could have had. Imagine if our commander-in-chief would hear at a rally when someone booed, that's America. 
America allows for people to boo and people to clap. That's America, and that's why I love this country. Do you think we would still have bombers going around to people who say something differently? Perhaps, we don't know. But we know that the voices of leadership would look to tamper down those flames instead of putting gasoline on them. That's a major problem. And it all boils down to responsibility. Imagine this. Imagine God tests Abraham and Abraham says, God, I love you, I'll sacrifice for you, but I'm not sacrificing my son. By the way, I have two sons, why this one? Why do I have to pick one that matters more to me? And what happens in the next generation? Isaac gives the birthright to Esau, but is tricked into giving it to Jacob, meaning he has to do the same thing. Imagine if he followed the precedent of his father that said, I love both my children equally and I won't do this. Imagine what would then happen for the fight that ensues between Jacob and Esau that follows for generations, or between Isaac and Ishmael because they don't take on the sense of responsibility and challenging that authority when wrong is happening. They are silent, and silent is equal to assent, and we cannot be silent, and all the more so when we have a pulpit in which to speak from. And if you have a water cooler in your office, you have a pulpit in which to speak from. It's not limited to political officials or rabbis or priests or pundits. All of us have a voice, especially today, with blogs available to each of us, we all have a voice. And responsibility matters because it trickles from the top down. You know as well as I know that our kids model our behaviors every day. Whether we tell jokes or whether we're serious, how we interact with people, how we treat our spouses, our kids will model that behavior. And when they become adults, they'll either seek to do the exact same thing or 180 degrees the opposite. But they imbibe it and digest it. And the country is doing the same thing. It did it in Israel until the country was defibrillated and it's doing it now. And it's a responsibility from the time of the Bible till today for our leaders to stand up and to say, no, no. We can disagree. That's the beauty of our world. Let us disagree. So what? No one's gonna agree with everything but I want to disagree with the ability to love and appreciate afterwards. It sounds so trite, but no one did this better than John McCain. When someone called Barack Obama a Muslim when he was running for president against him, he ripped the microphone from her hand and said, no ma'am, no ma'am, he is a good man. And I disagree with him in the direction our country should go, but he's a good man, don't call him that. Well, that might not have won him any votes, but it got him a lot of character. And we saw how that character was celebrated when the time of his death came, for what it was he stood for and the values that he kept. That's what our leadership needs to do. And even if it means people in the administration bucking the President of the United States, they must use their moral voice because we will judge them far longer than his term. And it's their responsibility forever or else what happens is they could have the same blood on their hands. And think about how many innocent people were in the line of these bombs. How many people in mail rooms and how many people in sorting facilities, how many people on the airplane in which these bombs might have flown from location to location through the postal service. And all we have to do is say, I'm not gonna speak this way anymore. 
But instead, our commander-in-chief went back to his old antics yesterday. And he, last evening in a rally, called people crooked and lying, said the media are evil and wrong, and he celebrated chants that called for the demise of CNN and locking up political opponents. If you can't see what's gonna happen next, you need to see an eye doctor, people, because this is just the beginning. And if you don't use your voice, we're gonna end up in the same place that Israel ended up in, that Abraham ended up in with no relationship with his kids after the almost a sacrifice, the same place that Isaac ended up in with no place and no relationship with either of his kids when the birthright was stolen from. And our future will be incredibly gloomy. Let it be a reminder to all of us of the responsibility we hold and the challenges we must make that our words and our actions matter and don't think they don't. And let us stop being so apathetic to just be on the sidelines and say, it doesn't matter. It matters next week when you have to vote. And I don't care who you vote for, but I do care that you vote, that you exercise that right. That is your choice and it's a private choice, but go out and vote. And it also matters that if you think leadership is doing something wrong on either side, that you model and demonstrate for them what it is to disagree with passion, with love, with understanding, with a belief and a firmness, but still a place to say, you're still in my world. You're still in my country. You're still my brother. That matters. Because if we can't change the way we talk, and we can't take responsibility for that which we've done wrong, oilano people, woe, woe to us. On this Shabbat, I want to make a special bracha first to God, thanking God that no one was injured with all of these bombs, with so many people who could have been hurt or even killed. And I don't take that for granted, and I thank God for that. Secondly, I want to thank our law enforcement officers who we too often look over, who put themselves in the line of fire daily and regularly, who apprehended the suspect for this terrible crime in a very speedy fashion. And most of all, I wanna thank leaders who take the responsibility to say, I made some mistakes, I was wrong. I take responsibility. Because if you can't stand up to Nazis marching in Charlottesville and claim it's wrong unequivocally, what do you think that does for the cover of people who wanna march against Jews and blacks in Kloster one day or in Skokie again one day? When people can take responsibility for that which they've said, then we have a greater chance of looking each other in the eye and disagreeing with passion and with love. And that's what our country needs now because if it continues on this path, we're not only gonna lose our fingers and our limbs and our lives, we're gonna lose the character of what was this amazing experiment called the United States and we can't afford to lose that. I apologize for making such a heartfelt and political approach to today's sermon, and I thank you all in advance for indulging me.